Hi, this is Cole Moon, and welcome to the Holiday Moon Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Beth, and I'm going to be talking about fall leaves in a two-part series. And this is Randy, and I will be talking about Halloween traditions, and today, pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns. This is Sydney, and I will be starting my new fall series on fall flavors. Fun. I think that biggest holiday happening we have so far is cold. It is so cold right now. Yeah, it's surprisingly cold in Virginia for September. Yeah. I had to go and get extra blankets to bring them over into my bed last night because we are bundling up. Two of us have, uh, I have my jacket on and mom has a like extra fuzzy sweater. Yeah, fuzzy sweater on. That's awesome. It was in the upper 30s for a low this morning. Yeah. And it still isn't very warm. Nope. Feels great. um, Feels awesome. uh, My grandma texted me this morning. Sending me pictures of the frost that accumulated on she did. her. To you too? Yeah. She sent me a separate one too. And then I yeah, think she, she put was... it on Facebook. Yes, and then she put it on Facebook. <laughs> She's making her rounds. I think we, she must have texted us earlier than she did that though. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But that's crazy. They're already getting frost up in Pennsylvania, central yep. Pennsylvania area. Yep. And yep. yesterday we had a fun time going to one of our favorite places nearby, Great Country Farms in Bluemont, Virginia. Yeah, and it was um, weather much like this, although it did get a little warmer in the afternoon. But we were very happy that we could wear, finally, our fall clothes. Right. In actual fall weather. Right. Because oftentimes we go to this adorable farm and dress up in our fall clothes to take fun pictures. And it's like hot. Yeah. It's like 80s. Right. So this time it was very um, cool. Nice and cool. It's very nice. Yes. And they continue to expand and improve their farm area. They have the brewery, they have the winery, they have the uh, hard cider, uh, all separate facilities, really nice facilities. Uh, So I encourage everybody to to go there and to support them uh, because they're a great local farm uh, that's doing really good things for the area. Even if you're not a planner, you need to plan ahead. So they're very good at what they're doing during covid You have to purchase tickets ahead of time for a certain day during a certain time. And when we went there yesterday, they weren't accepting any walk-ins. They were just completely filled up. Their tickets were maxed out. Their tickets were maxed out. Now, yeah, you don't technically have to, like, buy tickets ahead of time. But then you run the risk of not being able to get in. Yeah. If, like, yesterday, they were all bought out. Yeah, which is crazy. At 11 in the morning. Yeah. So... And I think on the weekends, they are requiring reservations ahead of time. That would make sense, yeah. But even as we left, there was a huge, long car line. Huge, huge line of cars. Yeah, I will say that even though they're restricting the number of people there, there was a lot of people there. There (laughs) There's still a lot of people there. And you kind of have to take it on yourself to social distance because they don't have a lot of markers. They have some down, but not a lot that people pay attention to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you really have to watch it yourself and... So that was a lot of fun. We got some Macintosh apples. We got some Golden Delicious apples. And we got some, what were those other ones? Uh, Royal Empire. Royal apples. Empire. Yeah. All tasty apples. So we'll be going back for pumpkins. They had pumpkins available, but you had to walk. And we weren't that interested <laughs> right. in walking. We weren't that interested <laughs> in doing the walk. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it was still a little early. Yes. And another holiday happening. One of our own has um, also flown the coop like Cole did. Onyx, one of our cats, is now living with Cole. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. And she's settling in really nicely. She's settling in really nicely. 
I expected her to be a little nervous when she first came. Uh, and there's definitely parts of the house that she's working her way kind of into slowly too. But her, I kind of expected her to slink around a lot, but her ears have been perked up and her tail has been up and yep. she's been just wandering around. She's the queen of her own castle now. Yep. Yeah. In fact, our cats here are more freaked out than on Then she is, yeah. In fact, our cats here, I think one of them has been super needy. Yeah, Autumn. Yeah, meowing and wanting constant attention, and the other one has been slinking around. Yeah. Waiting to see if someone's going to try to snatch her up, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Autumn's doing, Onyx is doing great, so that's awesome. I'm going to talk today about why and how leaves change colors. This is a little mini episode to start us out. Most of the colors that you see in the fall leaves are always actually in the fall leaves. They're just masked by the pigment chlorophyll, which is green and is dominant in the leaves in the spring and summer. So leaves are green in the spring and summer because that's when they're making lots of chlorophyll. And chlorophyll is important because it helps plants make energy from sunlight, which is a process known as photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. I was just about to say that. Were you? Mm -hmm. oh, I beat ya. The summer sunlight triggers the leaves to keep making more chlorophyll, but trees are very sensitive to their environment. So as the days start getting shorter in the fall and there's less sunlight, it signals the leaf to prepare for winter and stop making chlorophyll. Once this happens, the green color of the chlorophyll, which has been dominant, breaks down and the other colors show themselves. Yeah, that was interesting in New Hampshire when we were going up Mount Washington. One of the railway people mentioned that a couple cold nights would get the leaves starting to change color. And it's not the cold that starts the color change. It's the change in the available sunlight. Correct. But the cold does affect it, right? There are weather conditions that affect leaf change. And we'll talk more about that next podcast. Awesome. Leaves have color because of chemicals called pigments, and there are four main types of pigments in each leaf. Spring, summer, fall, and winter? No. No, no. but I feel like that was a fine guess. <laughs> I knew it was wrong. The first is mind. we're going to talk about is the green chlorophyll, which we already touched on. It's responsible for helping trees and plants turn sunlight into food. For most months, it's the dominant color seen in most leaves until it fades away. As many trees shut down their food production, they turn to stored sugars to survive the winter. And that's what they do. They break down their chlorophyll so that they can use it later. Another pigment that is already in the leaf is the carotenoids. Sugar maples are one of the best examples of carotenoids in action. They are a bright orange and can be seen throughout the northern U.S., Sassafras leaves also turn a slightly more muted orange. I don't know that I've ever seen a sassafras leaf. No. Yeah, I have. Have you? Mm hmm You'll have to show me if you see it again, because I, I don't know that I'd know I a sassafras leaf. around us, but I have seen them in, like, parks and arboretums and things like that that we've gone to. Okay. Um, and the carotenoids come from carotene, and the carotene is a chemical responsible for giving... What vegetable is color? Carrots. Carrots. Yes. Yep. Very good. Um, it's funny. Carotenoids sound like some throwaway Star Trek alien species. <laughs> the carotenoids. <laughs> the carotenoids. That's all I can think of. Well, the next one kind of does too. Does it? The xanthophils. Oh, the xanthophils. Yep. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, they're rival aliens. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. Yep. You could get a plot in there. You could. 
The xanthophylls are the yellow pigment in the leaves, and they can be seen throughout the fall in trees like beeches, ashes, birches, aspens, and some oaks, although mostly oaks are brown. It contributes its bright color to autumn squash and corn. So that's where you find xanthophylls. Now, the fourth pigment is anthocyanin, and that's the red pigment. And this is interesting because unlike the other leaf colors that always exist in the leaf, anthocyanins are produced as the chlorophyll is broken down. Oh, okay. So the anthocyanins are often seen in leaves named for their autumn splash of red, including red maples, scarlet oaks, and red sumacs. We have a blazing red maple out here, an autumn red, a blazing autumn, I think it's called. The red is a produced color because of the breakdown of the chlorophyll and is not always existent in the leaf like the carotenoids and the xanthophylls. So chlorophyll, green, dominant color in the spring and summer. Carotenoids, orange color, gives the carrot its orange color also. Bright color, pretty, already exists in the leaves. Xanthophyll, yellow color, also already exists in your leaf. Anthocyanin, red color, and it is produced as the chlorophyll is broken down. We'll find out more about why it is produced on the next podcast. The end. <laughs> See. And I have to say, like, I love mom's um, papers that she has from her research because they're very colorful. <laughs> they are. Yeah. They're always yeah. fun to look at. Yeah. And autumn always leads to Halloween. It's true. You could even see that it's, autumn is just a part of Halloween and season. It could. Yeah. You're wrong, part. but yeah. Right. So an important part of fall is Halloween. So I'm going to do a mini series on some Halloween traditions and facts and history and things like that. And the first one I'm going to tackle, like I said, is pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns. So I don't know if you realize this, but pumpkins are great for more than just carving. If you eat pumpkins, they provide 53% of our daily intake for vitamin A, 20% vitamin C, and 564 milligrams of potassium. Oh, yeah. Good for pumpkins. Exactly. So there are a lot of varieties of pumpkins. Um, There are actually pie pumpkins that you can buy to actually make pies that are of the right kind of variety, as well as jack-o'-lantern pumpkins. And I'll talk a little bit about those in a little bit. But some interesting facts about pumpkins. Pumpkins are actually fruits. They're a type of squash. They're a type of squash that cucumbers, squashes, and melons also are part of. Pumpkins are native to North America and have been here for thousands of years. In 1584, the French explorer Jacques Cartier explored the St. Lawrence region of North America, and he reported finding gross melons, or large melons, which that name in French was translated to English as pompions, which later uh, evolved into the modern pumpkin. Hmm. Pompions? Hmm. Pumpkins require a long, hot growing season. Their flowers are edible. Oh, I did not know that. Are they good? I don't know. Try it and let us know. Edible good aren't always the same. (laughs) Is it like edible or technically edible? (laughs) The largest pumpkin pie ever made was over five feet in diameter, weighed over 350 pounds. Oh my goodness. Who had a pie pan that big? It used over 80 pounds of cooked pumpkin, 36 pounds of sugar, 12 dozen eggs, and took six hours to bake. In early colonial times, pumpkins were used as an ingredient for the crust of pies, not for the filling. Oh, that's interesting. They used to be recommended for removing freckles, 
and curing snake bites. So I don't know if you just threw the pumpkin at your snake bite or... Or just smashed the snake with your pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> you throw, keep that a pumpkin, a hard pumpkin to throw at snakes. <laughs> yeah. That'll help with the biting. The largest pumpkin ever grown was weighed in at 1,140 pounds. It's just crazy. Pumpkins are 90% water. 80% of the pumpkin supply in the United States is available in October. In colonial times, Native Americans roasted long strips of pumpkin over an open fire. And colonists sliced off pumpkin tips, removed seeds, and filled the insides with milk, spices, and honey. This was baked in hot ashes and is the origin of pumpkin pie. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a... Like a, a pumpkin filling. Like a big pumpkin drink, yeah. Yeah. The first carved Halloween jack-o'-lanterns were made... Not in pumpkins, but in turnips. Turnips, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, um, interestingly, the association of pumpkins to Halloween is pretty recent when you look across the time. Like, it's not thousands of years. It's just hundreds of years. There's a little poem from the 1630s that goes, We have pumpkins at morning and pumpkins at noon. If it weren't not for pumpkins, we should be undoon. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a clever little poem. So a lot of modern Halloween traditions come from the Irish Festival of Samhain, an occasion that marked the passage from the summer harvest season to the dark of winter. And that dictated huge bonfires be built in fields, and it was believed that fairy spirits lurked in the shadows. To distract these spirits from settling into houses and farms, people would carve rudimentary faces into large turnips, because again, this is on the Irish side, they didn't have pumpkins, and set candles inside. So I look. I try to look up how big are Irish turnips because turnips in the United States are pretty small. Yeah. And the pictures I saw were much larger. Oh. Much oh, bigger. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. Yeah. Then. yeah. It does. Yeah. Because I always saw little turnips. Tiny turnips are like little. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So turnip lanterns would rest along roadways and next to gates to both light the way for travelers and caution any passing fairies against invading. The celebration of Halloween in America didn't take off until the waves of immigrants from Ireland and Scotland arrived in the mid 1800s and kind of brought all those traditions, uh, traditions and stories with them. Um, as so I, thank you to the Irish and Scottish. In 1866, the children's magazine Harper's Young People reported that a great sacrifice of pumpkins had been made for that year's Halloween celebrations. Oh, that's funny. So pumpkin carving grew more and more popular as the years went on, and by the 1920s, Halloween had been embraced throughout the United States, and parties and costumes became the norm and trick-or-treating soon followed in the mid-1930s. So as pumpkin carving grew into a multi-million dollar business, American farmers began to examine the specific types of pumpkins they grew and bred new lines of squash specifically for carving. Massachusetts farmer John Howden developed the Howden pumpkin in the 1960s, and it's still the most popular pumpkin used for carving in America. Oh, he really? developed it himself? He did. Howden. <laughs> I thought of that. I had to set that up for myself, though. The, th- the very things that make the Howden pumpkin perfect for Halloween carving, the thick stem, the shallow ribs, the thin flesh in relation to size, make it less than ideal for baking and eating. Uh, meanwhile, varieties of pumpkins like the sugar pie, the kabocha, and carnival make better for eating. So the traditions that the Irish and Scots brought as they immigrated included um, a number of things from the Samhain festivals. Young women, for instance, believed that Halloween was the day they could divine the name of their future husband. They could do so by doing tricks with mirrors, apple parings, or yarn. Women dressed in costumes and went door to door asking for 
money or food, which was kind of a very early form of trick-or-treating. There was a move in the United States to create a more community-oriented form of Halloween, less ghosts and pranks and more family-friendly gatherings and parties. And they did so by encouraging communities to do so via newspapers and uh, community leaders' speeches and things like that. And by trying to remove references from the frightening or grotesque. (laughs) That's always good. Right. So the name Jack-O-Lantern is British in origin and dates back to the 17th century when it literally meant man with a lantern. It was a popular nickname for the natural phenomenon known as Ignis Fatus, Fool's Fire, or Will-O-The-Wisps, those mysterious flickering blue lights sometimes seen over wetlands at night and associated in folklore with mischievous ghosts, goblins, fairies, and the like. By the late 1800s, people were applying the name Jack-O-Lantern to homemade objects more commonly known as the turnip lantern, which was a lantern made by scooping out the inside of a turnip, carving the shell into a rude representation of a human face, and placing the lighted candle inside. That's very rude. (laughs) It is. So there's a couple of theories about jack-o'-lanterns and kind of where all that came from. There's a lot of folklore associated with the history of jack-o'-lanterns. And depending on who's telling the story, you get different versions. All the stories involve a clever drunkard that pulls one over on the devil. Legend has it in the 18th century Ireland, a foul-mouthed drunk and disreputable miser named Stingy Jack asked the devil to go have a drink with him. The devil obliged, and when the bill came, there was that awkward moment that we're all so familiar with. Jack expected the devil to take care of things, and the devil thought Jack should pony up. Seeing that Jack had no money, he convinced the devil to turn himself into a sixpence coin to pay the bill. The devil fell for it, and Jack skipped on the bill and kept the devil at bay by sliding the coin into his pocket next to a silver cross. So the devil was stuck in Jack's pocket, trapped by the cross, but... Apparently, at some point, Jack decided to be a good egg and let him out, provided that the devil wouldn't come after Jack for a period of 10 years, 1 to 10 years, depending on which story you hear. The devil felt he had no choice but to agree, and once the coin was removed, he returned himself back to the devil and went on his not-so-merry way. At the end of the agreed-upon time, whatever it was, the devil found Jack for a little payback. Somehow Jack convinced him to climb a tree in search of an apple for Jack before they set off for hell. The devil once again obliged, only to see Jack carve a cross in the tree trunk and leaving the devil stranded again, this time in the tree. Again, Jack at some point must have felt bad because he agreed to let the devil down if he promised never to claim his soul for hell. So the devil agreed because he was stuck. And when Jack died... When he went to heaven, St. Peter rejected him at the pearly gates because of his suspect credentials. (laughs) The devil wouldn't and couldn't let Jack into hell per their agreement at the time. So in the end, Jack was given a lump of burning coal by the devil to light his way to walk through purgatory. And Jack carried that coal inside a hollowed out turnip. So Irish families told the tale and began to put carved out turnips in their windows to prevent stingy Jack and other ghouls from entering the home. Some had scary faces carved into them to frighten away any you know, fairies or whatever they wanted to frighten away. But once that tradition hit the United States, Irish immigrants soon realized that the pumpkin, native to the United States, was actually an ideal fruit for carving. And that's why you see jack-o'-lanterns, and that's why they're called jack-o'-lanterns, all over porches in the United States and other countries as well. So in 1899, Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch... What a name. I know. 
wrote a little article in the Cornish magazine about a prank involving the jack-o'-lantern. And this is what he wrote. The, mischie- the mischievous youngsters took the hatch, the lower half of the front door, and tied to a nail driven into its center a well-lit turnip lantern cut to represent a grotesque grinning human face and carried it to the top of the house, laying it flat over the chimney. The lantern, suspended by a strong cord, went down the chimney to such a depth as to be visible to anybody looking up from below, the fireplace being open. So can you picture, they basically put the board on top of the, the chimney up top and, lo- and, and lowered this the, yeah. face uh, down. Yeah. Right. So because the, the door was over this, the chimney, everyone quickly commenced to cough and complain of the irritation caused by the smoke. One of the women of the house bent down to look up the chimney to ascertain what was amiss. And that ugly face met her gaze, causing her to shriek and go into hysterics. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. That would be quite frightening. So that's why we have and carve pumpkins, both to scare away fairies and to scare away Stingy Jack as well. Stingy Jack, yep. yep. Walking and any other ghouls. And any other ghouls Those that might be out spirits, there. spirits, yeah. Right. So uh, I always struggle with the fact that when I carve a pumpkin, it quickly becomes moldy sitting mm-hmm. on the front porch, yeah. right? So I, I looked up some quick tips as to what you could do if you wanted to to help your jack-o'-lantern, your great creation, right? Because there's lots of ways to create yeah. beautiful carvings these days uh, to stay longer in the fall and not get moldy so quickly. So first, you want to make sure um, it's cl- as clean as possible on the inside. Remove any of the, the mushier guts, so it's mostly just the rind. And I think probably most people do that. We do that, and then we pick the seeds out and roast the seeds anyways. But you want to clean that out as best you can. And then uh, minimally, you want to spray on the interior and the carvings a solution of one part bleach per one quart of water. One teaspoon of bleach per one quart of water. And you can put that in a spray bottle, and you basically are sterilizing the gourd. So you're killing any bacteria. In addition to that, if you want to go to the next level, you can actually put your creation into a bleach bath. So you get a bucket that's bigger than the pumpkin that you could sit the whole thing in. It's filled with water, whatever size pumpkin you have. And you put two-thirds cup of bleach in there. And then you soak the pumpkin for 24 hours. And that's not going to destroy it. I nope. know. That's... That nope. I would think that that would at least... Whiten it a good bit, or disintegrate. Dis- disintegrate it, yeah. And it doesn't. This is yep. That is so funny. The next layer of that is to actually apply Vaseline to all the carved edges, so that'll keep them moisturized and prevent the edges from drying out too fast. You can also use vegetable oil or WD-40. Those are flammable though, so you don't want to put an actual candle inside your pumpkin if you good use point. vegetable yeah. oil or WD-40. But if you're using one of those lights. I know for me, I'm thinking WD-40 is a lot easier because I can just spray it on. Oh, right? okay. Versus Vaseline, I don't have to wipe it on. Right. Well, I mean, I think they're thinking of like one of the petroleum jelly like the big containers, ones. not like the little like mouth things. Right, like, right. Apply, not the lip, <laughs> lip balms to like apply it. <laughs> That's funny. It also suggests that you rehydrate your pumpkin daily by spraying it with a mix of a few drops of bleach in a container or water. So you're going to spray it to keep it fresh. The outside or inside? The whole thing. Okay. Um, you want to store it in the fridge overnight. That's the next level. Like each of these is like getting like, okay, I'm not going to store it in my fridge yeah. overnight because we have big pumpkins. I was going to say, we don't have room for all those. You'd have, we'd have to have a uh, like top loading freezer. Right. Um, you could give it an ice bath. 
So that's another option. All this seems like a lot of work. <laughs> they said don't use real candles. That, that also helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, display it in a stable temperature so it'll be better if it's displayed inside than it would be inside, outside where it gets the fluctuation of temperatures. And the best way to make sure that your pumpkin lasts the longest is just to not carve it. Uh, pumpkins that aren't carved will last for a long time huh. outside. Yes. Well, that kind of defeats the purpose of how the you know, carving the jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. Yes. You can also buy them these days. Right. Yeah. Well, you could also do a face on it, like draw one if you wanted to. True, or, that's you know, right. When you guys were little, like. you used to paint jack-o'-lanterns. And, yeah. And Although we would paint little ones. We still made the big ones. Mm-hmm. Well, we yeah, because your dad them. always... Yeah. yeah, you always did it with your dad. Yeah. And I saw recently a series of three fake pumpkins... And they were all singing in unison. Oh, oh yeah, I saw that too. Like the, the, with the faces yeah. on them, and yeah, they're I wanted to find out where they where those were because I saw those too. Yeah. I haven't seen them for sale, but no. I saw them on like a little video. I saw um, like some of them like will take you to websites. Okay. That where you can purchase them, but um, very fun. That's even a better way to have carved pumpkins right. that don't rot. <laughs> Make them electronic. Singing. Yeah. Well, speaking of pumpkin, which we uh, were, which we were, which we were. I'll be starting my fall flavors series with pumpkin spice. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, now, are pumpkins going to be in your fall flavor series? Well. Pumpkin spices. Yes. Because they aren't usually. It's a very rare flavor around this time of year. <laughs> really? Yeah. It really is. Never see it. So, uh, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So, pumpkin spice is really pumpkin pie spice. Right. Right. So, it is an American spice mix Commonly used as an ingredient in pumpkin pie, but the spice mix itself doesn't actually contain pumpkin. It is a blend of ground cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, and sometimes allspice. Right, because it's to spice your pumpkin, not yeah. a pumpkin. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense that there's not pumpkin in it. Yeah. Right. It's just um, the name is deceiving. Right, yeah. Right. But it's named that way, I guess, for the nostalgia, because like it is used in pumpkin pies. But anyways, um, according to the History Channel website, pumpkin spice has been a thing for 3,500 years. Wow. Wow. So what they really mean, though, is because it is a mixture of a number of spices, researchers have discovered that humans have been using nutmeg as food for 2,000 years longer than previously thought. Oh, okay. So what they really mean is the origin of the different spices. Right. Yeah, not the pumpkin spice itself. Exactly. But you don't find, like, on... Hieroglyphics, yeah, like them going and getting some pumpkin spice lattes at their local coffee shop. Right. No, no hieroglyphics. <laughs> no. no. So I was looking for like pumpkin spice specifically with the when they started combining. So apparently, like it was a popular thing to combine all those spices together, but the actual pumpkin spice blend as we know it was created in 1934 by McCormick and Company who introduced the blend as an alternative for consumers who were buying all four spices to make this one spice mix. Oh, interesting. Right. What yeah. year? Uh, 1934. It's actually oh, wow. older than I thought it would be. Yeah. But it makes, you know, when I was just talking about how Halloween became a thing in the 20s and then kind of solidified in the 30s, it was yeah. right in that time frame. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, And that was smart in the Cormix. Oh, yes. it was so smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So nearly 70 years after McCormick and company released their spice blend, um, executives at Starbucks found that seasonal beverages were hit in winter, which I'll talk about that in a second. And the Starbucks wanted a fall equivalent, thus the pumpkin spice latte was born. 
From 2011 to 2016, McCormick saw sales of their pumpkin pie spice increase by 80%. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's a good uh, return on <laughs> that investment. Yes. Thank but, you, Starbucks. Yes, with pumpkin items have increased right. so much. And apparently it's even like crept it a little into summertime, which it has. Like, you know, yeah. people are looking for I mean, it. just kind of like how, in general, sometimes Halloween will creep into <laughs> summertime <laughs> a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the payoff is well worth it for companies, though, to make pumpkin spice items. A study of roughly 200 products confirmed the existence of a pumpkin spice tax, meaning that consumers are willing to pay more for the pumpkin spice versions of their favorite foods. So, yeah. So pumpkin spice has um, exploded pretty much. And you said consumers are willing to pay more. So, like... If it's got the pumpkin spice label on it, mm-hmm. then they're willing to pay a premium right. What compared to what it really should be worth. costing them or worth. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. if it's a pumpkin spice Oreo, they'll pay like a buck extra yeah. for pumpkin spice Oreos. <laughs> yeah. And you think about cereals, different trail mix, um, pretzels, um, just everything pretty much. Especially anything uh, like tea or coffee related, I'm guessing. Yes. Yes. Because, okay, so I was trying to find out exactly why it exploded, right? Because that's a pretty short time period, 2011 to 2019. Yeah, yeah. And it's been around since, what, like 1934. Right. So, and there wasn't really a good reason why. People gave different reasons, but there wasn't, like, a definite reason. So, all I could really think of is the connection between pumpkin spice and pumpkin spice lattes. (laughs) Because that's what I go for, and every time you think about pumpkin spice now, it's oftentimes with the word latte afterwards, yeah. right? So, the pumpkin spice latte, or PSL, <laughs> let me just clarify, Starbucks did not invent the idea of combining pumpkin pie spice right. and coffee, but uh, there is a direct line from the current pumpkin spice fad right back to the PSL debut on the Starbucks menu, right? So... So basically, Starbucks had holiday, meaning like Christmas time drinks, such as the eggnog latte and peppermint mocha, and those were all hits, so they wanted like a fall equivalent. Yeah. Which makes sense. So according to Seattle Met's 2014 deep dive into the PSL's backstory, the Starbucks group in charge of creating a fall drink brainstormed a list of 20 possible fall latte flavors. Then they surveyed Starbucks customers online about which latte ideas appealed to them the most as seasonal options. And, interestingly enough, the idea of a pumpkin pie latte didn't do it for most of their respondents. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're more into chocolate and caramel-based drinks, which is what was around at the time. Right. Right. What they knew. Right. But when the time came to narrow the list of 20 down to 4, which would then be mocked up as prototypes and brought into a team of higher-ups to find one winner for the development approval. The Starbucks group included the pumpkin pie option anyways. Okay. Yeah. Apparently there was a company lore that the team, the group that created it, all gathered together and literally ate pumpkin pie while drinking espresso. Oh, that's funny. Um, So they were were really trying to think up of different uh, flavors for the fall and what would be nostalgic and draw the most people in. The other three options were a chocolate caramel drink, an orange and spice latte, and a cinnamon strudel latte, which would later be reborn as a cinnamon dolce latte. 
but although many of those picks were solid ideas, based on the survey, the pumpkin pie latte stood out as something unique worth pursuing. So the battle wasn't done after the drink itself was finally perfected, though. They also had to name it. So originally, they were thinking of naming it the Fall Harvest Latte. And although, like, it, it does invoke uh, feelings of nostalgia in the season, it didn't um, actually tell customers anything about what the drink actually tasted like. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Because so, fall harvest makes me think of, like, leaves and stuff, and then I associate that with my drink. And and then it could be, like, <laughs> apples. It could be, right. You know, it could be anything. So they finally went with pumpkin spice latte, and it was an instant hit. So the drink was subsequently rolled out nationwide during the fall of 2004, and ever since, it has grown in popularity with each successive season. The PSL-dedicated Twitter account hit the scene in 2014, though it hasn't tweeted since 2018. And its corresponding Instagram account became verified in 2015. More than 30,000 people follow the drink over there. Um, Starbucks Pumpkin Spice Latte is now available. I mean, grocery stores, coffee creamers, K-Cups, ground coffee... And other companies are kind of caught on to the idea as well. So you think They're of kind like, of emulating it. Yeah, you yeah, think of like Dunkin' yeah. Donuts, McDonald's, and such. And you also see, you say, oh, it's really a pumpkin pie spice, but they labeled it as pumpkin spice, right? Pumpkin right. spice sauce. Yeah. And now, like in Michael's and Hobby Lobby, you see all kinds of stuff with pumpkin spice. Not pumpkin pie spice, pumpkin spice. Exactly. Which is that label that mm. was given to it by Starbucks. And you yes. see a number of food products also... Yes. Creating their equivalent flavor mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of food, I have a the pumpkin pie spice mix in front of me. If you all want to just pass it around. Get a little whiff. Yes. And I also have a couple of foods so good. Mom as already well to try. Cheated and sniffed the I, snuck but, a whiff earlier. <laughs> I didn't get to. Sydney made me stop. Oh, it just it does smell so good. Yeah, it brings a lot of feelings of nostalgia and family and Thanksgiving and all kinds of stuff. I will say, though, I don't use pumpkin pie spice in our pumpkin pies. Oh, really? No. You but you use, use your series. own... Because you do it from scratch. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. We use our own nutmeg, cinnamon, all, all of that. Right. We have, I think, I, cloves, nutmeg, and cinnamon that I use. Something like that. Yeah. But, yes. But it, the smell is iconic. Yeah, definitely. Pumpkin pie smell. All right, I have in front of me a marshmallow called Smash Mallow. This marshmallow has a zing of pumpkin spice, and it is part, you know, as you look at it, it's part orange, part white. Yeah, so it has this really fun two-toned right. look to it. So this is a fun marshmallow to put in drinks, I guess, and such. I thought it was That's interesting. Really interesting. That's actually a good idea. I didn't yeah. think about that. Like in your tea or in your cocoa or something, maybe, exactly. to add a little... Yeah. So we can all go ahead and taste it. <laughs> Dad did it early. <laughs> he couldn't wait. Oh. It's a, like, a well, little... that's a nice light flavor. Yeah. It's a light flavor. has a little bit of cinnamon nutmeggy kind mm-hmm. of flavor too, but not Definitely the spice. Yeah. Definitely taste it. Mm-hmm. And it's marshmallowy, but not as marshmallowy. It's not as gooey. Not mm-hmm. as fluffy, yeah. Mm-hmm. As a regular marshmallow. Yeah, it's a little, a little more dense. dense. Yeah. Yes. So it's little squares. Mm-hmm. They are. And they're very solid little squares, too. Mm-hmm. Little yep. square mellows. All right. Yeah. So next. It is a light flavor, though. That's nice. Yeah. Just a little I like that it's though. not, like, crazy sweet. Right. Yeah. So next we have the pumpkin spice pretzels. So these are fudge-coated pretzels. So we'll nice. open those. All right. So I found both of these at, um, both the marshmallows and the pretzels at Target. 
Okay. You go ahead and try them. They are orange. Yeah, they're orange, kind of a little bit speckled, look very fall-like. Hmm, I like those. Yeah. Yep. So they have an orange Again. candy coating around a small tip, you know, classic pretzel shape. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely taste it, but it's not an overwhelming flavor. Yeah, and it goes it's nicely almost, with the pretzel. It's like um, more of a white coating mm-hmm. that's or, mm. that's orange. It looks fall, mm-hmm. and it has just that little taste of those spices. Mm. Yeah, it's really very nice. I like this a lot. Mm. Yeah, those are good pretzels. They are. The, I was um, I was hopeful with the pretzel. I was a little. I had no idea what the marshmallow would be like, but um, yeah, I've been pleasantly impressed with both. Yeah. That's awesome, Sydney. Thank you for sharing the history of pumpkin spice and your some, foods, yeah. some foods and with some us. snacks. Yeah. <laughs> Our future festivities are for the week of October 5th. October 5th is National Do Something Nice Day. October 6th is Mad Hatter Day. October 7th is National Pumpkin Seed Day. October 8th is National Pierogi Day. October 9th is Curious Events Day. October 10th is National Cake Decorating Day. And October 11th is General Pulaski Memorial Day. You can always follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons, all one word. On Facebook, you can find us by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar for our Facebook group and our Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Cole... Beth, Randy, and Sydney. Happy Happy Fall! Fall!